Hello, and welcome again to the Claycomo Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Today is April the 24th, 2022. Scott Gordon, pastor at Claycomo Baptist Church, resumes his study on healthy habits with Go, Keep On Going, discussing Acts. And now we send it to Pastor Scott. So I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17 as we continue our emphasis in the habit of evangelism, strengthening our witness as we continue our series on healthy habits. We're going to largely be focused on Acts 17 today with a little sidetrack into like 1 Peter and, and maybe Acts chapter 2 and, and places like that. Uh, but we're going to find ourselves in, in Acts 17. Now, now, speaking of bands, the, there's a great band of theologians several years ago, a name of Roger Daltrey, John Entwistle, Keith Moon, and Pete Townsend. And they asked this, this significant question. It's going to be on the screen for you here. Uh, who are you? Who, 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 who? I'm not trying to sing that. If you know of that great band of theologians put that in quotes, uh, it is the who, and it's who are you, who, 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 and then we'll just stop, because that's pretty much the essence of the song. I mean, there's some other stuff, but that question goes throughout, and it's a, it's a worthy question. Don't we ask ourselves, even as Christians, who are we? Who are we? And asking that question, the Apostle Peter gives us a great answer. We've looked at that as we've been in this aspect of studying evangelism and our calling as God's people. So by way of reminder, here's what Peter's wonderful answer to the question from the who would be. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. Now, just like we found out in our Sunday school class, there's enough here to preach two or three sermons in just what Peter said and to go all over the place. But the bottom line here is this. When we start talking about being a people for God's own possession that we could proclaim, and that's evangelism. That is to declare. That is to share. That is to make a statement, not only with our lives, but with our words in conversation with others. And that's where we've been, trying to get to this idea that evangelism is more than just a plan or a program. It is a life. It is a conversation. It is encountering others and then being able to share with them the reason why we believe Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world who came and lived a perfect and sinless life as the one and only Son of God. Went to the cross like we celebrate at Easter especially and every Sunday throughout the year. 
and then rose again. And how important that resurrection is. Because without resurrection, we have no hope. So who are we? Oh, we're a people for God's possession. We are a holy nation, a, a royal priesthood. We have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, as Ephesians tells us. There's so much that can be said there. And in line with Peter's answer that we just read, I want us to bring towards a focus on evangelism the next principle from the book, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. I just love that title, first of all, because it's really kind of honest. When we think about evangelism, sometimes we just freak out. We go, and for a number of reasons, and we've covered some of those and, and everything. But here's the, the fifth principle I want to share with us regarding evangelism. Principle five, God has sovereignly placed you in this world at this time with the abilities and gifts you have to bring glory to him and show the joy of the gospel to others. You, and I know I've always been told, don't point. But this time I want to. It's all of you who God has brought into his family, has saved him, saved us for his glory and given us the privilege of being his ambassadors to declare this wonderful good news. So, as we go with good news, as we go with power, the gospel, the enabling of the Holy Spirit, and as we go with conversation, Making this aspect of evangelism or sharing the gospel or, or giving a testimony to a lost friend or family member. We can keep on going. Day in and day out looking forward to all that God is going to be able to do in and through us. So I want us to focus in then on Acts chapter 17. We've kind of skipped in and out of this chapter throughout this aspect of our series on evangelism. I want to kind of sit right in the middle of all of it and see some aspects of what it means to keep on going with the gospel, with the good news. By way of remembering, just to kind of reset the context for us, Acts chapter 17 Verses 16 and 17 is the introduction of Paul being in Athens. 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he saw something of concern for himself and something that, that broke his heart quite literally. It was a distressing situation to see a group of people following after a, a false sense of security, a, a false sense of deliverance, a false sense of actual comfort. So verse 17, so in response to this, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So that's where we, we find Paul. He goes in, he starts having these different kinds of conversations in two different situations. One, from his own background. We might call that kind of growing up with church or growing up in church. People who would understand the language. 
and to be able to have conversations and introduce the fullness of the truth God has revealed in His Word about the Messiah, about salvation, about all of God's purpose and plan. Then He went to the marketplace. Those that he may have been familiar with because he lived in the culture, he understood where he lived, but didn't come from the same background that he did. And he began to have conversations with them. And and that moves to another. There's kind of a response to, what is this guy talking about? Hey, I tell you what, let's go pick him up. These are the people listening to Paul. Hey, let's pick him up. Let's go up here to one of our central locations, the Oropagus, an aspect in which there was a focus on worship. And let's, let's go further. Let's ask him what on earth he is talking about uh, in all of these things that are going on. And so we, we come to the message shared. And that's verses 22 to 31. I want to hit the introduction and the conclusion. And then I'll leave the rest of his message for everybody to pick up on your own this week. What an incentive to say, hey, let's at least read chapter 17 of Acts together. But verses 22 and 23 is Paul's response to the invitation he was given for further conversation. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Now, what we see Paul doing here is not castigating, it is, it is not belittling, it is not demeaning. What he saw was an opportunity to connect with a group of people that he might not readily have connected. He said, hey, thanks for inviting me up here. As I'm kind of wandering around, I see that you're very religious. He would consider himself to be religious as well. And I see as I'm going through here, you have a a specific altar, a specific statue dedicated to an unknown God. I believe I can tell you about this one true God. That you might just, in trying to make sure you've got all the bases covered, leave that open door for whatever. Let me share with you who I believe that is. And... He goes into a wonderful message that talks about that level of proclamation of the gospel. And in verses 30 and 31, he comes to his point of conclusion. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so here's that, that, that aspect of, of a conclusion that is given in the moment. I don't believe that Paul specifically had a... Uh, Oropagus sermon already written. I, I, I don't necessarily believe. Now, do I believe he'd studied and knew the scriptures well? Oh, obviously. Even after his conversion, he spent a long time in a very concentrated discipleship as God then further revealed the calling of his mission's work to which he would be traveling the known world of his time. 
But think about the context for Paul. Think about what he's doing in this moment. The readiness that he had because of his study of God's word, because of his living out the life that God has called us all as his people to live. I mean, think about the the cultural background that that we see in, in verse 21 of chapter 17 here, where we read this. It says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. It was just part of of what he did, what they did. There was that aspect. So coming in and starting to talk about something new was an opportunity. It wasn't something to go, oh, well, look, they only talk about something new, and that gets them to get into all sorts of wild thoughts and ideas. Did it? Sure. Who knows what all the new items that they would talk about on a regular basis were. I'm sure they're all over the map. But Paul came in and said, hey, here's something new. A man called Jesus. Like another guy, we'll talk about, mention that very same person in another message that would be earlier in this very book we're in right now. But think about the spark that started all of this opportunity. Verse 17, he reasoned in the synagogue with those, and because he did that, verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That's their initial responses. We'll get into that because we're getting ready to see the responses to this message once he gets to the Oropagus. And so here's, here's a culture that would seem to be either overwhelmed with so much information that there's not an opportunity for someone to hear the gospel and listen. Someone who's some, somewhat of a foreign culture in Athens, in, in, in the, the Greek mindset, that would be different than the Hebrew and Jewish background from which Paul came, that ought to made a hesitancy to be wanting to share. The message, oh, they're not going to listen. I mean, they might listen, but then they're going to pick it apart and they're not going to pay any attention to it. Here's another principle I'm going to share with you from this wonderful book I've been reading in in this series. Principle six, expect people to be open to the gospel and learn to share Jesus where they live. Do we, do I, really expect people to want to hear the gospel? And you say, Scott, because of sin, they're going to want to reject it. Now, that's not what I said. Do I really expect that people would be willing to hear the gospel? I think sometimes we convince ourselves the answer is no. For whatever reason. Whether it's convenience, therefore, if it's going to be no, why should I bother? Or if it's going to be no, it's going to be hard, and I might try just a little But as we've been talking and even think about to see the day of the Lord coming and Jesus' return, the closer it gets, the more intense it gets, the the, the crazier it gets out here with all of those birth pangs that we talked about in in Matthew 24 in in our Sunday school this morning. In that aspect, the, the harder it gets, 
the more motivated we ought to be to go. But what happens? Going with that expectation, we go, we share our heart, our life, our conversation with others who are lost like we were before we came to know Christ. Because there's not anybody here, anybody who's ever lived that automatically was born as a believer. It just doesn't happen. What was the response of the group of people who were Paul's audience in Athens? That's the conclusion of the chapter, verses 32 to 34. That's the, the heading of this whole section in my outline has been, pay attention to the lights. You're going, what on earth does that mean? Because you didn't even mention it as you already dove halfway into your message. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Here's where we see it. Here's the response. When, verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I had a, a wonderful friend, fellow minister of the gospel, share this next aspect to help us understand the response to the gospel. It's a gospel traffic light. Every time we share the gospel, the response is going to fall in one of three categories like you just saw right here in Acts 17. So I want to look at those responses and then ask when we recognize those, how do we respond to the response? How, how should we continue? Or if the idea of going and, and that word in, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is not go once. If it doesn't work, then give up. It is go on and keep on going and keep on going and keep on making disciples and keep on and keep on and keep on. And so how do we maintain that when we encounter Hey, I just shared the gospel, either with a group of people, with a few close friends, or with a friend, and they respond in these various ways. The first one's the red light. We see that right there in the, the first part of verse 32. After we see what happened here, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, we talked about Jesus, he's talked about the gospel, he has shared that the one by whom God is relating to all of the world is through the Messiah, through his son. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, first response, some began to ridicule him. Now, ridicule is in some ways, yeah, you're stupid. But the intensity of this word is to scoff, to jeer, to mock, to scorn. It is to undoubtedly reject the message. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a myth. I think, man, that was something for back then, but with what we know now, it doesn't belong. It doesn't make any sense. Any level of that ridicule or rejection is that very first response. And if we go out into this world and share the gospel and don't expect that, I think we are kind of, and if I were to try to sell you on doing, selling, that's a horrible word, on, on 
fulfilling the call of evangelism and say, if you go, you'll never be rejected, would be to lie. And then you come back going, Pastor, you said they wouldn't, but they did. Well, I knew they were going to. I just wanted you to do it anyway. I mean, if we're going to try to motivate the gospel that way, that's just ridiculous. I mean, that's just unwise. But when we recognize what will happen, and sometimes door gets shut in your face. Sometimes the conversation will be shut off. Others, it just won't happen, or it will go this way, and it will just kind of die out, kind of fade away. What's our response in that sense of, of that more rejection than anything? Uh, don't ever talk to me about that again. Here's what Paul did, verse 33. So Paul left their presence. Given the other light that's in that category, it sounds like, oh, Paul, that's uncomfortable. Why'd you do that? We'll get into the reason why in a minute, but here's the deal. We're to leave, leaving the door open. Let's never be accused as followers of Christ of sharing the gospel in such a way that when it's wholesale rejected, we reject that person in like fashion. Don't you ever tell, I hate God. I hate religion. I don't want to hear about Jesus. We dare not go, fine, you idiot, and walk away. That's not what God's called us to do, who he's called us to be. But the reality of in that moment for us to pursue further is not going to be profitable. He told his disciples as they were going from village to village to kind of begin missionary journey and, and introduce the good news to other places. If they receive you, fine. If you get in there and they reject you, after a couple of times having that opportunity to, to share that good news and they push you away, take off your sandals, shake the dust off and move on. I know his disciples did that. You can see that in, in a number of the things they did. But it's interesting to see. It's not like they went to a town and there would never, ever be a gospel witness there. But at the time they went then, it wasn't the time. It was yet to be. So we need to make sure we understand. Our response is to leave that and to let it lie, but leave the door open. How's that look? I don't ever want to hear about Jesus. Appreciate that. If you ever do want to Pick this up again. My door's always open. My phone is always on. Give me a call. Stop by. In that way, that there is that opportunity. Second response, latter part of that verse 32, is a yellow light. When they heard about the resurrection, others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. It's that, that moment of kind of like, all right, I hear you. I'm not sure I get it. And I'm not ready to go any further with it. But I would like to maybe pick it up again later. Leaving that, hey, here's the, the, the next aspect. It is no reason to believe in the context of this conversation that it was not genuine. That it was not a... 
huh, you've gotten me something to think about. Can we talk about this again later? And not just a, don't ever talk to me about this again. And it very well is that opportunity. How do we respond to a genuine, huh, I'm not fully in, I'm not really out, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking still. What should our response be? We ought to be ready. We've used this verse time and time again in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense. That is an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Here's something that keeps coming to my mind again and again. Let me ask it this way. <laughs> is anybody here impatient? Or am I the only one? Am I the only one? You know, I'm the kid of the technological generation, the instant gratification generation. I mean, fast food, when it's not fast, like I order it, it's right there, I get upset. I have to wait in the drive-thru line? What is the problem here? I mean, you know, we, we are all a part of, of that level of maybe impatient. I go to turn on the TV, it doesn't work. There's a problem. Why? I mean, all of these, these aspects of, of our life or my life uh, in that is... You know, the breeding grounds for impatience, demanding, I want it now. If God is patient with us, and it is his kindness that leads us to repentance, maybe we ought to be patient with others. And I know that's a broad spectrum, and that it should apply to everything. But let's also take it really into this realm of conversation about the gospel. Oh, let's be patient. We have, you know, long-time friends we grew up with who are unbelievers. We, we have neighbors. We have family members. And, you know, share the gospel with them once. And they kind of are indifferent about it. Not yes, not no, or, or whatever, and, and that kind of thing. And we just kind of go, why not? Do it now. And I appreciate that heart. And that ought to be our heart. Expectation, right? When we share the gospel, we want to expect people to want to hear and to respond. When they don't, but they leave the door open to say, well, it's not because I don't like it, I hate it all. It's because I'm not sure I understand it all or I need some more time to think about it. How about we do this? We allow them time to think. And then check back in. What's that look like? Hey, you have a conversation one day, and it goes a, a week or so, and just say, next time you're standing out in the driveway talking to your neighbor that you talked to, hey, how's it going? You know, the other day we were, we were talking about Jesus and, and, and kind of Christianity and that kind of stuff, and you said you needed to think about some things. Is now a good time? Or, hey, could we talk about, could we get together? Could we go get a cup of coffee? Could we go get lunch? Could we go do something? And could we continue that conversation? And just allow that to be picked back up again. That aspect of, hey, when we share the gospel, we're going to come into some red lights. Those, those are painful. It's hard. You don't ever want to see anybody go, I don't want to hear about God. I don't like God. I hate God. The next level is a little bit better, but it still is kind of the, oh, man, and, and we get impatient with it. 
developing that level of patience. Now, the last one, you say you end on a high note because you want to. Yeah, <laughs> green lights are good, right? I mean, you know, we, we call that having the fortune when we drive from home on Sunday morning and coming through Clay Como and every light stays green. And we're not stopping up by the Ford plant where the new light is. Or, or then right there on either side of the bridge, both of them. And then just past the, you know, the next, and, and this morning we had the favor. We got right through. All lights were green. What does that look like when we talk about the gospel? Right here in verse 34. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Now that word to, to join him and believe doesn't mean that they became part of his missionary team that started traveling. Could, I guess, but it doesn't. What it means is that they connected themselves with, that they joined, that they attached, that they united with Paul in believing in Jesus, trusting him as Savior, repenting of their sin. Two of them by name. It seems like a throwaway line. I think it's wonderful. In the midst of this Greek culture, this new information, there were a number who responded. The two mentioned by name, we know nothing else about them. This is all we know. And what do we know? That there was a man and a woman who had never heard of Jesus before this who trusted him as their Savior. This is older people. This isn't just kids. Anytime we come to Christ, whenever he begins to draw us and we surrender ourselves to him, is great. But we need not discount the very fact that we may have known somebody for years and they may be our age or old and so forth and haven't trusted. And there is still opportunity right here. The beauty of it is man and a woman. And we get into all the politics of this day and time, but the bottom line is this. There wasn't anything in the message that was immediately offensive to them so much that they couldn't see the truth and respond to it. It's like Christianity is not a male religion or it's not some kind of feminist religion. It is the good news for everyone. <laughs> how, do, how do we respond to this? Well, this is the easy one. This is the one we celebrate. We, we, we grow in fellowship. We have a new brother or sister. And we have the privilege of mutual discipleship. At this point, I don't have time to list these scriptures, but all the one another's fit right here. Love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. And on and on the list goes. What a wonderful truth. Here's these responses. Do you realize that Paul utilized this approach at the beginning of this? We tend to focus on it here with the sermon that was given on the Arabicus. Did you notice Paul? He freaked out seeing all the idols. What did that get him to do? It got him motivated to go. He went and he began to share. There was a response. There were some who kind of red-lighted the situation. What is this ignorant person spouting off about? Others were saying, hey, he sounds like he's talking about foreign deities. Could we have another conversation? Now, at that point, early on, we don't see a green light in the crowd. 
But even with a red light and a yellow light, Paul said, I'll take that opportunity and went further when they invited him to come up and to speak. And so he carried through. In much the same way, there was a guy called by Christ to be his disciple who blew it. And Jesus pursued him, recommissioned, restored him. We just talked about him last week in John 21. Peter. After all of that took place, we get to Acts 2. Here's what Peter said. He'd already preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And in verse 40, we say, with many other words, he had to have been a Baptist preacher. He'd already preached a sermon, and he had many other words after that. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. What a blessing. Anytime we see the green light. I want to leave you with one final principle on this habit of evangelism, strengthening our witness. Developing a lifestyle of sharing Jesus consistently flows out of a plan to share Jesus regularly. You say, it kind of sounds redundant. Well, it is. <laughs> if you're going to do it consistently, you've got to be ready to do it regularly whenever the opportunity comes up. Peter was just this way. In the midst of Pentecost, I mean, that had to have been what is going on to the entire area that was involved in that moment what did Peter do he stood up and said hey these guys aren't drunk but this is what happened he explains it there's a response we find him what we would call just a couple of chapters later in Acts 4 here is the heart of Peter's habit Peter and John answered them. Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop. What was their plan? They couldn't stop. We are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's exactly the enthusiasm Becky mentioned that Bud had mentioned Wednesday night. We are unable to stop. If we're honest with all of us, as time goes along, that enthusiasm ebbs and flows. It may never be what it once was. It could be better than it was, and it can be lower than it was. The prayer is this. Oh, Lord, give me that enthusiasm for you. David, we don't normally think of as an evangelist, said it this way, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Even our sinful misdirections cannot permanently sidetrack us from faithfulness in all of life, including sharing Jesus with others. That's good news for us, for everyone.
information about Clay Calvin, please visit us online at www.claybap.org.